ongoing since the beginning of medicine that um, persons of color are mistreated um, and not getting appropriate care. And the work I'm doing is trying to change that. So welcome for this, our Cocoa Pods podcast episode. We're very fortunate to have with us Dr. Khadija Brethet, MD, MS, FACC, FAHA, FHFSA. And this is just all her qualifications so that we know with which authority she's speaking. Uh, Dr. Brethet is a tenured associate professor of medicine at Indiana University Division of Cardiology and advanced heart failure transplant cardiologist. So welcome to Cocoa Pods, Dr. Brethet. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to join you today. Thank you. So we dive right in. Um, African-Americans have a higher risk of heart failure and are more likely to die from heart failure than other races. So Dr. Khadija Brethet, what are the factors that put a woman at risk of heart failure? That is the heart actually failing to work as the heart. So the major risk factors for heart failure are similar for women as well as for men, meaning that the number one cause of heart failure is coronary artery disease. Now, the presentation and the symptoms may vary for men, but the risk factor is the same. The second major risk factor for heart failure, which is actually the largest risk factor for patients of black race is high blood pressure, which is also, we know, the silent killer because you don't know you have it unless you get checked. Wow, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, one of our midwives this weekend was describing to me the symptoms of a patient as she was walking and she was describing the way she was breathing. So doctors often describe the severity of heart failure by how much the patient's physical activity is limited. And one of the most frequently used heart failure classification systems that doctors use is the New York, yes, New York Heart Association NYHA functional classification. So can you explain to us in layman's terms how a person's symptoms while performing physical activities are used to talk about the different stages of heart failure. What does it mean for heart failure to be advanced and how the stage of heart failure affects a patient's outcome? 
So all of that is really important. Um, and it's from the patient standpoint, what we want to know is whether or not you're having symptoms at rest and symptoms with minimal activity or a lot of activity. So that gives us an idea of how well your disease is being controlled. It's also important as far as prognosis, because that gives us an idea of what your risk of worsening disease dying from the disease, rehospitalization from this disease is. And so we try to get you on the optimal medications and optimal treatment to help extend your life as well as your quality of life and help you feel better and stay out of the hospital. Wow, thank you. There are treatments for each stage of heart failure after we've done this classification. And for each stage, the treatment is so important to stop or slow down the progression of heart failure. There is the initial treatment and there is the advanced treatment of heart failure. What are the most common treatments and what are the treatments prescribed by an advanced heart failure transplant cardiologist like yourself? Great question. So for heart failure, if you have heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, meaning the squeeze of your heart is poor, essentially being 40% or less, there are four medications that we know are statistically likely to help extend your life, help you feel better and stay out of the hospital. And those class of medications include an RNA. Uh, such as sacubitril, velsartan, or entresto is the other name, um, also an ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker, but with the ARNI being the one that's superior. There's also a beta blocker and certain types of beta blockers, as well as an aldosterone antagonist, as well as an SGLT2 inhibitor. So that's four medications that help extend your life and keep you out of the hospital. Now, if you're also black race, there is a fifth slash sixth group of medications. If you're already on those four called hydralazine and isosorbidine nitrate. And we know that among patients that have black race, that this group of medications can actually help improve your quality of life and help you stay alive longer. And so we really try to make sure that patients are on these medications. Now, if you're sick enough where you're not able to tolerate these medications or you're being rehospitalized for heart failure, your symptoms aren't getting better. Those are some of the signs that suggests that you may have advanced heart failure, meaning that you need to see a, a specialist like myself, where we can help work with you to identify if you might need additional therapy to help you live longer, feel better, stay out of the hospital, such as a heart transplant or a ventricular assist device, which is a type of mechanical support to help extend your life. Wow. So, now, you talked about the heart transplant. What is the donor pool like? Where, where does the heart come from? And do Black people, uh, are they able to get a heart transplant easily? Great, great question. So in order to get a heart transplant, which is different from a kidney transplant, a person has to actually die and be willing to give the gift of life. So it's not something that everybody can get. And just to give you an idea, 
there's approximately six and a half million people living with heart failure, of which maybe five to 25% of those have advanced heart failure. We only do about 3,500 transplants per year. That means a lot of people are dying and a lot of people aren't getting this life-saving treatment. Now, there's also the ventricular assist device that I talked about, which can come off the shelf. No one has to die to get that one. It's not quite the exact same outcomes as that is with transplant and comes with a different set of um, issues, but it's another way to help extend a, a person's life and keep you out of the hospital. And we only do about 3,500 of those a year too. And so you may say the math doesn't add up. You're right. And particularly if you're an underrepresented person or a woman, you're even less likely to get any of these therapies. And some of that's from a lot of the research we've done is have identified that this is related to um, social determinants of health as well as bias and structural racism. Oh, thank you. And so can you just explain to us this, what is the left ventricle for uh, people that might not know? And what is a left ventricular assist device, which is like a heart transplant, but the person has not, uh, it's a mechanical device that is trying to mimic the heart. So can you please explain that to us in layman's terms? Sure. So the left ventricle is one of the four major chambers of the heart that's responsible for pumping blood to the brain and to the rest of the body. It's the strongest muscle slash chamber in the heart. And when it's not working well, that leads to bad blood flow to brain, to the rest of the body. So we do everything we can to get that squeezing and working as well as possible. Now in the setting that it's advanced where it's not responding to the medications, you're still feeling symptomatic, and we determine that your heart is working at a level that it's not efficient to get blood to the rest of your body. We talk about things like heart transplants and again, ventricular cyst devices. Now, since ventricular cyst devices are on the shelf available, sometimes the criteria to get them and the matching that's done is a little less strict. For a person to get a ventricular assist device, they have to go to a, an advanced center that provides this therapy, of which there are only a little over 100, I want to say, for combined transplant and ventricular assist device centers in the United States. But going to a center that does this, that has expertise um, to talk about the what this might mean. And so essentially it's a, a small machine that's placed at the bottom of the heart connecting to this left ventricle. And it essentially takes blood from the left ventricle and places blood back in the aorta, the main blood vessel that provides blood to the rest of the body. And because this is a lot of work to do, it requires a source of electricity or battery support and essentially requires an electrical cord, which we call a drive line. Um, that comes outside of the body and connects to batteries. And it's something to get used to, um, having something that's hanging out of your, your body a little bit, but it's something that patients have adapted to and have felt that it's given them a better quality of life. Now, for some, this is not the option that they'd want and rather have a heart transplant, which we have a little bit longer term experience with. And 
we often try to get patients whichever therapy is right for them and right for their their body and their situation because there are different things that can come up that might make it not the right thing for a person um, for either type of therapy. Uh, and for people that cannot have the heart transplant or the device that helps the ventricle, um, you talk to them about end-of-life issues or do they have to have a, a continuous infusion forever until, you know? And sometimes, so that's great that you talked about that. So sometimes patients need something called an inotrope and that's an, an intravenous, at least for now, there's some studies of, um, about oral versions of this medications, but it's essentially what we call kind of like a rocket fuel that is um, placed through an IV in the arm to allow for a patient to have this medication continuously because it helps improve the efficiency of the heart. But because it makes the heart work harder, it's extra work on the heart, which means that the heart will likely fail faster and also has increased risks of having heart rhythm problems. So whenever we start somebody on this medication, we often think, are they also a candidate for either heart transplant or ventricular assistive device? And if they're not, that's okay that they can um, still maintain um, their life on that IV or inotrope medication, but recognize that that's not going to help prolong their life or save their life, but it'll help them feel better perhaps. And we also like to talk to patients as soon as you have a diagnosis of heart failure to know about your options, to know about palliative care, what that means, so that you're prepared recognizing what could happen if things don't go the right way, um, which happens a lot because with a person that gets a diagnosis of heart failure, 50% approximately die within five years of diagnosis, especially without treatment. And the risk of dying is even higher if you've been hospitalized or hospitalized more frequently. And when you have end-stage heart failure, advanced heart failure, your risk of dying is pretty high within the, a year. And so we try to do everything we can to make sure that we match the right treatments for you so that you can have the, the greatest extent of your life as well as quality. But it's unfortunate, untrue, if you're a person of color, if you're a woman, you're less likely to get any of these therapies. And so it's really important to identify a cardiologist, a heart failure transplant cardiologist that you trust that's going to have your um, best interests at play so that you can help identify what's best for you. Well, thank you. And, you know, talking about hospitalization, um, as was reported in Reuters Health in 2018, you know, when a Black woman is admitted to the intensive care unit, the ICU with heart failure, studies actually show her management will be different compared to that of a white woman. And the likelihood of receiving advanced therapies for heart failure may be different. So Dr. Brethet, I ask you, and I'm going to bundle four questions in one, you know, what happens when um, after pregnancy, a woman develops heart failure in a condition at times we call postpartum cardiomyopathy? What kind of care can a Black woman expect if admitted to the intensive care unit for heart failure treatment in 2023 America? And then number three, what are the advantages of having different caregivers 
What advantages could they bring to the table of this woman in the ICU? And how does this affect whether you survive or die from this heart failure? Right. So you wrapped a lot of questions in one. <laughs> uh, and I'll try to address them the, the best I can. And from these areas, these disparities we're talking about is really what led me to be who I am today and the type of career that I have, because these issues have been going on for a long time. There's not at least current evidence to state that these racial disparities are gone or no longer existent. We know that your increased likelihood of dying from heart failure, increased likelihood of developing heart failure, increased likelihood of not getting appropriate treatment if you're Black, if you're Hispanic ethnicity, if you're American Indian, Alaska Native, if you are a woman, if you are a Black woman. And so it's really important that you learn how to advocate for yourself. And if you can bring family members or other individuals with you to appointments to help advocate for you, that's also helpful. Identify a healthcare professional that you trust, that you have a good relationship with, that you know is going to have your best interest um, at hand and make the, the change if you're not getting that type of relationship. We've seen that I think it's been illuminated a lot more, particularly the past several years, but it's been ongoing since the beginning of medicine that um, persons of color are mistreated um, and not getting appropriate care. And the work I'm doing is trying to change that by using research, by using strategies such as education, um, training, changing the way our systems operate and the way our systems work and allocate resources and how we make the decisions and how our groups work and function um, is part of the work I'm doing to help change the way the, the system works so that we can get closer to equity with getting appropriate care. Now, as a, a woman who's expecting or peripartum, it's, you know, the data um, that the Black women particularly are dying um, desperately um, during childbirth, after childbirth, have worse outcomes after childbirth if they had issues um, during childbirth. And the whole issue of peripartum cardiomyopathy is rare, but it's um, much higher risk if you are of Black race. And so it's something to be knowledgeable about if you are um, expecting or planning to conceive to make sure that you have the right information, you have the right healthcare professionals that are going to listen to you, most importantly, listen to you so that they can take note of these different diseases when they develop. Wow. 